0: Imagine That Studios, in association with Ace Books, presents Tales from the Archives, Volume 4 The official anthology of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences
1: Let's see what we have in this pile of dusty old cases
0: I beg your pardon?
1: It wasn't directed at you Let's see what we have here
0: Ooh, I love a good mummy story. Bah, <sighs> hopefully not one of those dreadful mummy unwrappings hosted by that Houghton cad. The smell alone can curl your nose hairs. And a terrible desecration of valuable artifacts, to be sure.
1: <laughs> In the Ministry, you don't desecrate
0: artifacts. The artifacts desecrate you. Eliza, that is very far from comforting. Very far indeed. I think it's time we got out a little more.
2: Mummy of Barnsley by Michael A. Ventra. Northern England, Autumn, 1894 Its eyes are glowing. Are its eyes supposed to glow? Agent Ernest Throckmorton backed up as the thing noticed him and began to move in his direction. It's not a mummy, Ernest said to himself. There are no mummies in Northern England. Just because it's covered in wrapped rags while wearing an Egyptian headpiece doesn't mean it's a mummy. The thing that could not possibly be a mummy advanced. Its eyes glowed a bloody red in the moonlit fog. Ernest swallowed. It's not shuffling. Isn't it supposed to be shuffling? A mummy always shuffles in a penny dreadfuls. His vision jumped from the creature to the ankle holster that held his trusty bulldog. The mummy ran forward. Wrappings flapping in the breeze, advancing much quicker than expected from something that had been dead for thousands of years. Fortunately, the mummy could not dodge a speeding bullet from his pistol. His aim was perfect. The bullet blasted straight into the mummy's heart, and then continued on through, scattering pieces of ancient linen and dust in its wake. It kept coming. Ernest considered all of his training his years of work with the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, the lectures, the exercises, the classes. He turned and ran. His entire body vibrating with fear, Ernest sprinted down the narrow alley and vaulted over a shrubbery. His foot came down hard on a small ceramic garden dome, which shattered into pieces. He fell to his side. A sharp pain shot through his arm and he flipped himself over. A foul stench made him shut his eyes and cough. He scrambled to his feet. The murky fog presented an outline of the creature, arm outstretched towards him, eyes glowing in the darkness. All shall pay for the desecration of the tomb. it screeched in an inhuman voice. It lashed out and punched Ernest in the nose. He fell backwards and felt the back of his head slam against what could only have been the remnants of a garden gnome's pointy red hat. A shadow loomed over him in the darkness. Strangely, the last thought on his mind before darkness devoured him was that the ticking of his pocket watch was running fast. The flickering of a gaslight made Ernest blink, and for a few seconds, He imagined himself safe and warm at home in Cardiff with his favorite cat, Mr. Brincham, purring contentedly at his feet. Then he heard a polite cough. Are we doing better, Mr. Throckmorton? His eyes snapped open to take in his surroundings. He was in the room he had rented only the previous night in Mrs. Logan's Inn. Ernest could recall meticulously emptying his luggage while pondering the bizarre case of a mummy sighting in Barnsley. He focused his attention to his left, where a scrawny man with thick round glasses peered at him intently. The fellow had a mane of brown hair that needed combing, and his vest pocket bulged with a variety of small tools. We found you on the ground in Mrs. Dibley's garden, the lad said. You had quite the swell an eye. Ernest's Hand unconsciously rose to his eye and poked, which resulted in an immediate wincing and tearing What time is it? he asked. It's about two in the afternoon on Wednesday. You slept through the night pretty well, although you kept mumbling, Mrs. Logan thinks you had a fever. Ernest blinked. The curtains were closed, so he could not confirm the lad's story as to the time of day. He yawned and stretched, and noticed he was wearing a ragged dressing gown that wasn't his. He could feel the dirt and mud caked on his arms. They had apparently just stripped him, dressed him, and thrown him into the bed without a care. He glared at his keeper. Oh, the lad said, as if suddenly aware. I'm Philo, Philo Bartleby. I'm a student at the college. The Lord Mayor's rather really friendly with my family, and I heard that you were here to investigate, you know, the mummy. He leaned forward, casting glances to either side, and then whispered, You're with the ministry, right? Ernest tried very hard not to roll his eyes. I say, old man, I've always wanted to work for the ministry. What fun! I heard you were going to investigate the mummy, and I thought it was grand. This is just like a Breckenridge novel, where the Breckenridge boys have to discover the secret of the mummy's curse, and there's a hidden tomb with a trap door, and... He paused. Yes, well, forgive my enthusiasm, but I want to help... This kind of work, Ernest said, requires expert training, not schoolboy enthusiasm. Is there any water? Yes, of course, water. But I know the area, Philo said, while filling a glass from a porcelain pitcher on the nightstand. I can help you, old man. You need an assistant. You mean a comic relief, Ernest said, while accepting the liquid. That's what they call it in the Daredevils. And stop calling me old man. He drank the entire contents and his stomach stopped gurgling for a moment. So, where is the Lord Mayor? I need to speak to him again. Philo looked down at his lap. Ah, well, I don't know if that's a good idea. He seems to think you may have killed those people. What? Yes, he thinks you are using the mummy story in the ministry to cover up the murders and distract people. He hates the ministry. He's instructed me to make sure that you don't leave Barnsley while the investigation is ongoing. I won't be leaving, because I am the one conducting this investigation, Ernest said. Stuff and nonsense! Those murders happened weeks ago, and I just got here, he began, throwing covers to one side, but immediately gathering them around his lap out of modesty. Now, now, don't try to get out of bed, Philo held his hands before him, as if that alone could stop Ernest from rising. You need to move slowly at first. Ernest swung his feet aside and planted them on the floor. I need pants is what I need. They're being cleaned now. I have more over there, Ernest said, pointing to the chest of drawers against the opposite wall. He rose, wondered why the light was fading, and found himself a second later staring at the ceiling. Just rest, he heard Philo say. Give me a minute, and I'll arrange your clothing for you. Ernest tried to recapture his equilibrium, but it remained out of his reach. Yes, Perhaps that is best. At least I fell back on the bed this time, he thought. Philo continued to talk as he moved around the room. When people said they saw a mummy walking down the streets of Barnsley, well, everyone thought they had gone daft. But when Mr. Lafferty was found dead the next morning, the next thing you know, all my friends said, it must have been the mummy. The Lord Mayor said no, and Constable Heap said that Mr. Lafferty had been robbed by thugs but I knew the mummy was real because one of the people who saw him was my friend Aloysius, and he never lies. Ernest slowly raised himself into a sitting position. Philo had done an excellent job arranging his clothing on the bed next to him, neatly folded exactly as he liked. What Ernest felt he really needed, though, was a nice, long, hot bath. Aloysius said the mummy is Anibus's footman, and he carries a clock "'which counts down its victim's time left on this mortal soil.' Coil, Ernest corrected. "'Mortal Coil.' "'His hands rose to his face. "'That punch was quite strong. "'Perhaps he had been hit by a clock in the mummy's hand.' "'But no one believed him,' Philo continued, undaunted. "'Then Mr. Rutherford was found dead, "'and there were some old ripped bandages next to him. "'Everyone was convinced it was the mummy again.' even though Constable Heap said no, it was just another accident. That's when the Lord Mayor sent for the ministry, just to shut people up, I think. He's hoping you'll convince everyone it isn't a mummy. Philo stopped suddenly and fixed a bespeckled stare on him. But it is, isn't it? Ernest nodded. The room continued to nod for a few seconds on its own, even after he stopped. Yes, it attacked me last night. I knew it! Fido said, clapping his hand together like an excited child. But ye fought back, right? That's why it didn't kill you like it did those other two. Right, of course, Ernest said. But he could hear the slight doubt in his own voice. Why didn't the mummy kill me? An hour or so later, mind cleared and body warmed from a hot bath and Mrs. Logan's beef stew. Ernest set out into the streets of Barnsby. Philo tagged along, talking the entire time. I pointed out to Constable Heap that you had just arrived yesterday, and in response to the Lord Mayor contacted the Ministry, so you couldn't be a suspect. I think he's just cross that they're going over his head. Ernest grumbled and sidestepped a nasty puddle. I need my gun. The Lord Mayor said you can get it back when this is all over. Philo replied. I should contact the ministry and let them know that your charming little town is thwarting my investigation. The closest telephone is in Leeds, Ernest snorted. Lovely. Philo rambled on about his schooling and the science courses he was taking and how that qualified him to be accepted by the ministry, but Ernest paid him no mind his thoughts elsewhere. A mummy in 19th century Britain? He was a literate, educated, and intelligent man, all of which gave him the background needed to properly investigate peculiar occurrences such as this. But, mummies, there had to be a logical explanation. Otherwise, this would have been a department matter. The image of his previous night's struggle kept interrupting his train of thought. There was something inhuman about that thing, but he should not have been so maddeningly scared of it. He had faced unexplainable threats before, but none had ever evoked such an irrational panic. He sighed. Maybe he was fooling himself, and he really wasn't cut out for this ministry business. While Campbell, Hill, and others in the London office traversed around the world via dirigibles and comfortable trains, he traveled from the Cardiff office on slow-moving bumpy carriages north to Barnsley, of all places. They trudged up Church Street, past Barnsley College, and Philo pointed to Victoria Road. Third house on the right, he said. Ernest roused himself from his bleak demeanor. Time to get to work. Time to notice your surroundings. Every minute detail could be important, no matter how trivial their first appearance. The houses were spaced fairly close together, but were clearly those of the middle to lower working class children played with hoops and sticks in the street while women hung their laundry in the small backyards and talked over short fences meant to provide a facade of privacy a few shutters needed repair and more than one roof looked as if a good rain would flood the upper floors the third house on the right was painted a light yellow with green shutters a sign on the short picket fence by the road read mr and mrs lafferty there was a noticeable and pleasant lack of garden gnomes Philo walked up and knocked on the door. A woman in their mid-thirties answered the door. Her auburn hair fell across her face, and she reached up and pulled a stubborn strand back to reveal deep blue, piercing eyes. Her eyes looked older than her face. Mrs. Lafferty, allow me to introduce Ernest Throckmorton from Her Majesty's Government, Philo said, with the kind of awe in one's voice that is usually reserved for announcing the royal family. He's here to investigate the mummy, and I'm his assistant! She gave Ernest a look. With a raised eyebrow, he assured her that Philo was anything but. Please come in, gentlemen, she said. You can wipe your feet on that carpet there. That's fine. Don't let the cat out. The home was nicely kept, clean and arranged, meeting Ernest's approval. However, he felt a strange discomfort deep in his bones that he could not explain. Above the mantelpiece sat a lithograph, what was clearly Mr. Lafferty, surrounded by fresh daisies, and a very ornate clock, decorated with dials that counted each second, minute, hour, day, and year. Ernest noted that it ticked in perfect rhythm. In the corner of the parlor was a gramophone, although this did not appear to be of a make he had previously seen. Other unidentifiable contraptions were arranged on various shelves. Mrs. Lafferty led her guests to some comfortable chairs and began pouring tea to three cups, as if she'd been waiting for their arrival. "'Thank you,' Ernest said. "'I am sorry for your loss.' She shrugged. "'A terrible way to die at the hands of a mummy, I suppose.' She took a sip. "'I mean, it didn't look pleasant at all. Not like dying in your sleep or falling off a cliff. Like that gentleman from Cornwall that I read about last week. What a tragedy! He had a good life going for him, too.' oh what was his name let me think ernest cleared his throat to get her attention please tell me about your husband mrs lafferty she shrugged he was a mason went to work came home went out drinking with the boys nothing special ernest glanced a look at philo who seemed preoccupied with some small tarts on a side table staring at them as if they might invite themselves to be eaten "'And did you see this mummy attack?' Ernest asked. "'Oh, yes, but I was afraid to tell the police at first. she replied. "'I mean, who would believe me? "'I told them I didn't see anything until after poor Mr. Rutherford died, "'and a witness said they saw the mummy. "'And then that Huffington boy told the police that he had seen it kill my husband. "'Then I told them.' She picked up the dish with the tarts and held it towards Philo, who took one greedily. Ernest held up his hand to refuse a tart. Apparently some of the college boys claimed to have seen the mummy earlier on the night that your husband was attacked. Really? Pamela placed the dish down and straightened her dress. Well, that's nice to know that I wasn't seeing things. It would assist me if you could tell me exactly what you did see, Mrs. Lafferty. Oh, Pamela, please. She clasped her hands in her lap, kept her eyes down, and paused as if gathering her thoughts. Donald was coming home late from the pub like he always did, and then I heard him scream. I looked outside and saw this mummy coming toward him. I thought it was just the hooligan gang again. They do stupid stuff like that all the time, especially round Guy Fawkes Day, which doesn't make any sense, because Guy Fawkes had nothing to do with mummies, really, unless, Mrs. Lapperty, please. Oh, yes, yes, anyway. She frowned, took a sip of tea, and then continued. The mummy had these glowing red eyes, which made my heart stop a little. Then it attacked Donald. Just knocked him down. Just like that. And it pounded and pounded on Donald, and then ran off into the night. Well, I screamed, and everyone came out to see what had happened. But I didn't want to say a mummy attacked my husband, so I said it was a thief. Then Ham was attacked a few days later, and... Uh, Ham? Hamilton Rutherford. Philo said through mouthfuls of tart. His wife is a lovely woman, Pamela stated, and they have three sons. Uh, Did your husband know, Mr. Rutherford, Ernest asked. Oh, yes. Pamela nodded her head enthusiastically. He had this nice little club, you see, with Ham and Akil, Akil Halim. Philo looked up. Professor Halim, Pamela smiled. Yes, that's him. Ernest held up a hand to get Pamela's attention back. So, your husband, Hamilton Rutherford, and Akil Halim had a club. What kind of club was it? Well, it's very interesting now that you mention it, she replied. They like to think of themselves as archaeologists. They travel all over the place, even as far north as Durham, sometimes, looking for caves and castle ruins and such. Ernest leaned forward. What was the subject of their search? Treasure mostly, I think. She gave a little laugh, which was quite pleasant. (laughs) They were convinced that they could collect Roman coins or something and get rich selling them off for the gold. Or maybe a museum might buy them. I thank you, Mrs. Lafferty. Ernest stood. We must be going. Her eyes widened for a second, and then she stood as well placing her teacup in its saucer on the table. Well, please say hello to Her Majesty next time you see her, Mr. Throckmorton. He smiled, but didn't respond. People outside of London often assume that members of the government see the Queen regularly, perhaps enjoyed a high tea with her. In reality, the next time Ernest would see Queen Victoria would also be the first. He placed his hat back on, nodded politely, and said his goodbyes. As they walked into the street, Ernest said, We don't have time to lose, Philo. Take me to Mr. Hallam's house immediately. Philo pointed off in a vague direction. I think he lives over near Kensington. He's an Egyptian, you know. Do you think he's the one behind the mummy? It sure seems that way. Or he's going to be the next victim. Ernest picked up his pace so that Philo had to trot to keep up with him. It seems this mummy wants members of this club. Yes! "'I deduce the same thing,' Ernest waved Philo ahead. "'So far, the two attacks have been at night, "'so if we get to Halim's before the sun sets, "'we should have plenty of time to prepare a defense.' "'Assuming there will be an attack, "'and assuming it will happen tonight,' Ernest frowned at the lad. "'There was at least a week between the first two attacks. "'If the monster maintains a rigid schedule, "'and what self-respecting monster would not, "'it will happen tonight.' What about the mummy attack on you last night? Not part of the plan, Ernest said, stepping briskly. I think someone was just trying to scare me away. Aren't there any taxis around here? Not in this part of town, Ernest cursed quietly. So, Professor Halim lives in a nicer section. Yes, Pylo said, now slightly out of breath. They pay him pretty well at the college, and he has written a few books about archaeology. No. He's a math teacher. I had an algebra class with him last semester. Ernest nodded. There was only a brief moment of blessed silence between them, and then Philo said, Do you want to know what I think? Before Ernest could tell him that he preferred not to know, Philo blurted, I think Professor Halim came here because he knew of an ancient tomb with mummies, and he's using the math professor disguise as a ruse to get to the treasure. That's a pretty intricate ruse, Ernest replied, given that he had to spend years writing math books and becoming an expert in the field just for the opportunity to search South Yorkshire. Well, perhaps I'm wrong about that, Philo said, his enthusiasm constant, but I think they found something and released the mummy's curse. And every week, the mummy rises again to seek revenge against those that defiled the tomb. Ernest refused to meet Philo's gaze, and continued to stride forward. He knew that if he mentioned what the mummy had said to him about defiling the tomb, the lad would never shut up. What on earth is an Egyptian mummy doing in Barnsley? He asked, as much to himself as to Philo. Philo turned on his heels and began walking backwards, so that he could look at Ernest while still leading him on. I studied this in class. The Roman Empire went all the way up to Hadrian's Wall. Yes, I took history courses too, Philo. And Northern Africa was part of the empire. There were Egyptians who came this far north, and maybe some of them buried their dead in the way they had always done, and then placed a curse. He stumbled over an uneven walkway and turned back around, spreading his arms to prevent a fall. Ernest just stared straight ahead and didn't say what was on his mind. Or maybe that's just what they want us to believe. He reached into a vest pocket to check his timepiece, and stopped. It was keeping perfect time, but I have wound it since last night. By the time they finally located the home of Professor Helene, Ernest was exhausted. Not just from the very long walk and the constant request to passerby for directions, but also from Philo's fantastic theories, all derived from cheap penny novels, and all involving mad scientists, ancient curses, and beautiful captive women needing rescue and expressing carnal gratitude afterwards. Ernest, however, paid little notice to the boys' stories, and instead worried over two important things. First, the sun had set, and second, he had no weapon. Professor Halim's home more impressive than Lafferty's, was still hardly a mansion. Philo and Ernest followed the slate walkway to the front door, rushed off their clothes, and went to knock. A woman's scream filled the air. Ernest kicked open the door and dashed into the foyer. The foul stench that haunted him from the night before hit him once again. Even through tear-filled eyes he saw the creature. The blurry side of it evoking a deep tremble within that threatened to shake his entire body apart. Rapid movement tore Ernest's gaze away from the monster. A middle-aged Egyptian man swung a large coat rack before him, keeping the glowing-eyed mummy at bay. Run, Rasha! The man yelled, and the screaming woman sprinted past Ernest and Philo and bolted out the front door. The mummy bashed the coat rack out of the man's hands and toppled to the floor. It turned to Ernest its crimson eyes boring into him. All shall pay for the desecration of the tomb, it screeched. Ernest could not move. His muscles refused to cooperate. Professor! Philo called. He grabbed the fallen coat rack, leaped over an ottoman in front of Helene, and held the coat rack before him like an overweight epic. The mummy turned away from Ernest and started towards Philo. All shall pay for the desecration of the tomb, it repeated. Hakim backed against the wall, his dark skin turning white with fear. Then the sudden wave of panic that had overcome, Ernest lifted like a morning fog. Philo screamed incoherently and drove the coat rack into the mummy's chest, holding him at bay. Then, over the noise and madness, Ernest heard the ticking. His eyes widened with the realization. He dashed deeper into the house. Where is he going? He heard the professor say behind him. Is he running away? Mr. Throckmorton, Philo yelled. Crashes and screams echoed behind him as Ernest ran into the kitchen. All shall pay for the desecration of the tomb, he heard in the distance. He felt around the sink and finally found what he was hoping for, a very wet sponge, which he stuffed into his jacket pocket. Ernest was about to return to battle when movement outside caught his eye. There you are, he muttered, before bounding into the darkness of the backyard. The cloaked figure, holding a small humming box, looked up in surprise. Ernest ran towards the stranger as it reached into its cloak and pulled out a long rod. It pointed the rod at Ernest, and following a sudden flash, the Ministry agent was knocked backwards to the ground. He twitched uncontrollably as he tried to rise. The figure walked towards him and pointed the stick again. Stop! Ernest yelled. Stop, Mrs. Lafferty. The cloaked figure stopped. Ernest tried to catch his breath and rise, but the pain was too strong. Inside the house, the sounds of battle continued. Pamela Lafferty pulled back her hood. She stared down at him for long seconds in silence. The mummy could have killed you last night, she finally said. But it doesn't kill people that don't deserve it. Not like your husband, Ernest wheezed. He deserved it. He was a nobody. Just a mason. But you, you are an artist. You have the spark." He tried to pull himself up, but stopped when Mrs. Lafferty pointed the rod at his chest. "'His friends laughed at my inventions,' she said, as if any of them could make the things I make." "'I am indeed impressed,' Ernest said truthfully. "'Your mummy servant is quite the marvel. How did you manage that?" She smiled. It's so nice to be appreciated. She held up the box. This is a low-frequency igniter that controls it. It also manipulates brainwave activity. It can paralyze anyone in direct line of the mechanism with fear. It still needs more study, however. Ernest nodded the best he could and moved his arm slowly down his side. I can see why some men would be threatened by someone of your intellect, she snorted. <laughs> Idiot men, yes. They'd say I should just stay at home and clean and do laundry. Working with science is a man's job. Oh, what nonsense. They were wrong. You could have seen a bright future with the Ministry, for instance, where such talent is appreciated. You think so, she said. That's an idea. Perhaps they would appreciate my work. Most unfortunate, though, Ernest said. Violent, murderous tendencies reflect poorly on one's application. Pamela's eyes flared almost as red as the mummy's. I think you've earned my husband's fate, she said. She reached forward until the lightning rod was touching Ernest's chest, just above his heart. Goodbye, she said. Ernest pulled the sponge from his pocket and wrapped it around the rod. The rod sparked and a sharp pain shot through his chest, up his arm, through the rod, into Pamela's hand. She screamed as her hair shot out in all directions, but her scream was soon replaced by a thunderous boom. Ernest looked up to spy Pamela toppling backwards, the smell of burned flesh permeating the air around them. She struggled to get her feet as a metallic clatter erupted from the house. Pamela went to run, but still dazed from the explosion of her quaint transmitter, she failed to notice her cloak billowing out behind her. Ernest reached up just in time to grab it at its hem. It tightened around her neck as her legs went flying. She landed hard on her back and remained there, groaning and coughing. Philo appeared in the doorway as Ernest rose and stood over Pamela, kicking the rod free from her loose grasp. He turned to Philo. This is where the Breckenridge boys would say something clever, Philo whined, but I can't think of anything. Ernest winced as Mrs. Logan applied more salve onto his burnt chest. "'Don't be such a baby,' she said. "'Well, it hurts,' he said, pouting. "'And I used to have hair there. "'It'll grow back.' Ernest sipped at his brandy and looked into the fire. Mrs. Logan's Inn was the perfect place to relax, after having been attacked by a mummy and a murderous clankerton. "'So, there was no real mummy?' Philo asked his face forlorn. All she wanted was revenge against her husband and their friends. There never was a mummy's curse or anything. Oh, come now, lad, Ernest huffed. There was more than enough excitement without the need for silly monsters and superstitions. A mad scientist created a clockwork mummy that she could control remotely. That's something, isn't it? I suppose. But how did you know it was a clockwork mummy? The recurring ticking sounds I heard Whenever the mummy attacked, Ernest said. My watch had kept perfect time for two days straight without winding, thanks to the odd electric field generated by Mrs. Lafferty's quaint device. He raised his glass. Your assistance in fighting the mummy was also invaluable, as I was able to discern that the field causing my fear was directional. It all made sense, then. It was a mystery that would do the Breckenridge boys proud. Philo grinned and looked into the fireplace. I guess it was. He poured some more tea into his glass and added some cream. And the smell? Ernest gave a laugh. Nothing magical there. She coated the wrappings with rotten fish and sulfur before sending that infernal mummy out. But how did you know it was her? It wasn't until I saw her operating the mummy that I thought about all the clues. Did you see all the devices at the Lafferty home? Intricate clocks. And one of those new phonograph devices. There's no way a mason could afford those kinds of things. That meant they had to have been made by someone in the house. Clearly, if Mr. Lafferty had that kind of skill, he would not have been a mason. He shook his head. But to answer your question honestly, I wasn't sure if it was her. I guessed. Sometimes cases just resolve themselves that way. Vila was silent for some time. I still have a lot to learn. Yes, Ernest said. Being an agent is more than just running around and having adventures. It means being observant. It means paying attention. It means finishing your education. Philo grinned again. And if I do, will you give me a referral to the ministry? Maybe, Ernest smiled back, if you can get me my gun back.
1: Michael is one of the founders of the biggest fantasy medieval live-action role-playing groups in North America and currently runs the Alliance LARP. His rulebooks and player's guides are available in all formats. In his spare time, he is a lawyer. You can find him at michaelaventrilla.com
0: Theme music composed and performed by Alex White. Find out more at thegearheart.com For more from the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences,
1: visit ministryofpeculiaroccurrences.com to order The Diamond Conspiracy. Now available everywhere in your favorite bookstores and online in
0: print, digital and audio. This podcast is protected by the Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, share alike 3.0 license. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Tales from the Archives. And Imagine That Studios, Ace Books production. I'm T. Morris.
1: And I'm Philippa Ballantyne. Thank, Thank you, you for listening.
0: listening.